0: If you have a Bible, I want you to open it with me to Psalm 32. We're in a series of sermons called A Summer in a Psalm. We're looking at what David says in this 30-second psalm because it has everything to do with our lives as they are right now. I printed off an article after a a Google search uh, because it seemed very urgent to the status of things around my house, and the title of the article is How to Identify a Poisonous Snake. Um, children were playing in the backyard and uh, saw a snake so uh, I want to be able to protect my children the easiest thing though obviously see a snake run right that's just a that's just an easy thing so but uh, but here are some things I don't know some of you may know this already but there are four types of venomous snakes in the United States there's your cotton mouth there's your rattlesnake nobody's relaxing anymore are they There's your copperhead, and then there's your coral snake. Now, here's the problem. The venomous snakes in the U.S. tend to have varying colors. Most snakes that are one solid color are completely harmless. I'm not going to, you know, hold too tightly to that. However, some cottonmouths are also venomous, so this is not a foolproof way. Well, thanks a lot, right? Non-venomous snakes, number three, have a spoon-shaped rounded head. And venomous snakes will have a more triangular head. If the snake, number four, if the snake has on its tail, uh, has a rattle on its tail, it's a rattlesnake. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. We, didn't, we didn't need Google for that one, did we? Here's the important part, though. And therefore, venomous. However, some non-venomous snakes do mimic the rattler by rattling their tails, but the lack but lack the rattle buttons that sound like little salt shakers. So you can get down with your ear real close if you want to (laughs) see, if you want to do that. Now, some venomous snakes in the U.S., this is number five, will have a small depression between the eye and the nostril. This is called a pit, hence pit viper, which is used by the snake to sense heat in their prey. Now, the problem with that is, to see that, you feel like you got to get too close and bring your body heat. When I just read used by the sense heat in their prey, that's the word it used, so just another heads up. Some non-venomous snakes, next, mimic the patterns and behaviors of venomous snakes. To tell the difference between a venomous water moccasin and a cottonmouth and a harmless water snake, check to see if it's swimming with only its head above the water, or whether most of its body is floating too. Yeah, uh, if you're me, I'm out of the water, we're not checking for all this, but if just a head is showing, it is most likely, most likely, that's the interesting phrase, is it? Most likely a harmless water snake. But if the body is floating too, it could be a water moccasin. Then run for your life. That's not what it says, but that's the notes I made on it. And then last, if the end portion underneath the snake is going straight across, then it is venomous. If it starts to interlock, looking diamond shaped, then it is safe. Now, when we talk about the scripture, There's some warnings that you really do have to give people. Some take offense at it at times. But with my children, I don't want to just tell them to go into the garden and smell the roses if there are going to be snakes there. And what we learn from the scripture, all the way back to Genesis 3, is there is a serpent and he is no good. He is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's lied from the beginning. So, it's not enough just to open the Bible and look for all the scripture about the rose petals if there really is a serpent. Because if there's really a serpent and he really does bite, in fact, here's how Jesus describes him the thief, talking about this serpent, comes to do three things to steal kill, and destroy. He's not come to make nice. He's not come to be on friendly terms. There's, there's not uh, neutrality in this issue. He's come to still kill, and destroy. Peter says there's a, the, uh, the, the snake is a roaring lion prow- prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. Destroy, steal, kill, devour. That's what the Bible says about him. So you want to be able to identify him because you want to talk about somebody who can mimic something that looks non-threatening, that's his specialty. The Bible says he disguises himself as an angel of light. And so most of the time what destroys us looks like what we most want. In fact, James says that he lures us. And it's just like the same thing when you go fishing. I mean, a good fisherman knows what he's looking for, and he caters the bait to the fish he's trying to catch And in 2 Samuel 11, the enemy caught a big old fish named King David. I mean, the ambassador of God, the king of God's people. But he got lured into a trap and he took the bait, hook, line and sinker. And now he's dangling on the line, so to speak, and his life has been destroyed. Let's read together Psalm 32, the first seven verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered blessed is the man against whom the lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit for when i kept silence my for when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for night and day your hand was heavy upon me my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer Father, thank you that there is forgiveness to be found in God when we acknowledge our sin, when we do not try to cover it up, when we don't hide from you or attempt to hide from you, Lord, that forgiveness is to be found in, in Christ. So help us with this text, help us with these verses, help us to accurately handle the Word of God, and everything that we say be scriptural today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've noticed with all three of my children, one of the very first games they learned to play is the game hide-and-seek. Now Priscilla, our youngest, is about 21 months old, 22 months old, and we've just started to learn to play hide-and-seek, but here's the thing with her, she's terrible at it. I mean, she's awful. I'll say, I'm going to count to five. We're just going in just five seconds, and here's what she'll do. I'll be counting at the, at the table, I'm going to count to five, and she just walks about three feet away, and she stands there, and she does this. <laughs> That's her hiding. And, I, and then I've got to do this thing, and it always feels a little bit silly count to five. Ready or not? Here I come. And I turn around, and there she's standing, and she's kind of laughing and she's kind of giggling. And then I've got to do the thing like, I wonder where she could be, right? You just, as an adult, you're just foolish. Is she under the table? is she uh, under the in the refrigerator as you know as if she'd ever go in there and and, and look at all these different places and co- kind of walking all around her and she just starts to giggle and then finally she can't stand it she'll take her hands down and shout out daddy as if I didn't as if I didn't know where she was and then I act all surprised like wow what a great hiding spot This great and then she was just wants to do it again and I'll always say I'll always say Try a different hiding spot this time. And so I'll go and count. And this time she'll go, well, she'll go three and a half feet away, right? And then she'll, she'll do the same thing. She's terrible at hiding. Her dad always knows where she, where she is. Well, can I tell you in spiritual terms, since the fall, we've been hiding. And can I just tell you, we're awful at it. We think we're good. Really, when Priscilla's hiding in this way, she's not hiding from me. She's actually hiding herself that she can't see I can see her. She can't see me. And from the beginning at the fall, that's what's been true. It's not that we're hiding from God. We're closing our eyes to him. Now, do you remember the question God asks after the fall? The Bible says that when their eyes were open and they knew they were naked, they sewed fig leaves leaves together to cover themselves because they knew they were naked. I mean, that's a really bad hiding spot, fig leaves. But we'll get to a moment. We don't use fig leaves anymore, but we're still hiding. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then God comes and he asks this question, where are you? It's not that God doesn't know. It's that Adam and Eve are sitting here like this. Maybe he won't find us. Maybe we won't find us. Now, he, he knew where they were. Here's the problem, though. They did not know where they were. They did not know what they had given up. They did not know that now that their eyes have been opened, that they see good and evil, they've actually become spiritually blind. And now from the rest of the course of history, people continue to hide from God. That people can say all sorts of things. There is no God. And they can believe that their whole life. But the scripture says you'll believe that up until the moment that your heart stops beating. And then then you'll stop saying that real fast, I think. The Bible says there's only one person who says there's no God. Here's what the Bible says. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I want you to see, as we've been talking, that David's been doing a lot of hiding, hasn't he? He's been doing a lot of cover up. Everywhere we go, there's cover-ups, right? I mean, no matter what walk of life or what you're interested in, if you're interested in sports, here's cover-up. If you're interested in politics, here's a cover-up. If you're interested in this, that, or the other, it's all, all these cover-ups going on. And David has an elaborate cover-up after he takes another man's wife and impregnates her. Then he has this man murdered. I mean, we're talking about King David, a man that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart, and he's tried to cover it all up. And as we've talked about, we've walked all through 2 Samuel 11, and he gets to the very end, and David thinks he's, he's uh, wiped off all the fingerprints. He's wiped the whole the place down. Nobody can follow him. Then the one statement says, the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Here's David. Maybe nobody will find out. And so after that, 2 Samuel 12 the Lord sends Nathan the Prophet to confront David. And, and Psalm 32, after all this has gone down, is what David writes that we've been studying, as you well know. but, uh, but I want you to notice something about Psalm 32. Uh, hopefully and prayerfully, as we've been studying through it, you've been reading it on your own during the week, and, and you may be picked up on this. I want you to notice there's a progression in the tense of the verbs, the verb tense. It starts in several verses. It's a past tense and then it's going to get to a section where it's present tense, and then it's going to get to a section where it's future tense. So I want you to see what happened past tense. That's the opening. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, right? That's past tense, but, but do you notice it's also kind of on, ongoing, right? It's something that has, has happened and is continuing to happen. His transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit did you pick up on that that's actually present tense so uh so we'll talk about it in just a second now notice this this what was going on in david's life for when i kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long now when you get older uh when i was growing up in the blessed 1980s me and my group of friends we would get together and we'd play these elaborate kind of capture the flag games I mean, we're, we're done with this n- number. I mean, we, we got people like putting face paint on, like really getting into it, dressing in all black and going out in the woods in the middle of the night and capture the flag. And, and um, uh, if you're being, uh, if, if somebody's trying to find you and they get close, it can kind of get kind of tense, you know what I mean? And your heart starts amping up and they start walking by. I remember one time in particular, I was the last guy on my team. We played this game, and won't go into all the details, but it's whoever got found, the whole team, and, and I'm the last guy. And this whole team surrounded me. And you just get more nervous, and they step closer. Should I run? Should I stay? Should I climb up in the tree? Where, where, where should I go? It's, it can be miserable. And that's what David's saying, isn't it? Night and day, your hand was heavy upon you. Now, again, what we said when we studied that text was the danger sign isn't when God's hand feels heavy on you. The danger sign is actually when it doesn't. I mean, when you can commit sin, in David's case it was adultery, in David's case it's murder. When you can commit sin and it doesn't feel like God's hand is heavy upon you, that's when you have what's called a seared conscience, and that's that's bad. I mean, that's dangerous. Uh, And so David's miserable, and it lasts until, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover it up anymore. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now, here's here's what the Bible means by confession. The Bible doesn't mean, okay, you found me. The Bible means that I acknowledge what I did was wrong. I acknowledge what I did was sinful. I'm repenting and confessing before the Lord. And now I'm also asking you, God, to work in my life in such a way that I don't desire those things Anymore. Does, that, does that make sense? We, we talked about it last week. Talking about when a newborn baby is really alive, you know it because they're constantly crying. I mean, I dropped my daughter off today in the nursery, and I think my eardrum on the right side has bursted. I mean, the scream that she let out, because mommy usually does the dropping off, I did it today, I, it just about knocked me down. Living children, they cry out spiritually living people, they cry out to the Lord in prayer. Before we came here today, I fed my children breakfast because living people have appetites. It's strange, I'll just tell you again, and I don't even know if strange is the right word to use, if you think you're born again, but you have no desire for holy things. If you've got no appetite for God's word, that's strange. It's sort of like my son going for a week at a time saying, I'm not really hungry today. Man, when we go to Chick-fil-A, I got to ask him, beg him to stop going back to the counter because he's got appetite. especially when you're growing, when you're growing, when uh, there's a time in my house, when the three of us boys were all teenagers, we went through a gallon of milk a day. I mean, we just started grabbing milk by the, by, you know, if they hadn't sold it in greater, uh, more than a gallon, we would have ball dead. I mean, my mom's going to the store every day. Why? Growing people have an appetite. If you can go long stretches of time. And fill your life up with all sorts of what we call spiritual junk food. I mean, TV and some of the books they're printing today. Can I just give you a word of caution? There's some, some snakes in the garden. And it's, it should not come as a surprise. If you're going to fill your mind up with a, a whole lot of spiritual junk and then be surprised that you've got no appetite for holy things. Any more than a child fills his stomach up with candy. And then when you try to give them a good meal, they say, I'm not hungry right now. Now, if you've got no appetite for God's word, either that means you're not spiritually alive or it means you've got to be really careful because you're filling yourself, your heart and your mind up with junk food, right? So, so, so here's the past tense. Now here's the present tense. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, you shall not reach him. You, present tense, are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. Now, let me cover a couple statements from this, from this text. First of all, everybody is hiding somewhere. Everybody's hiding somewhere. When we were children and uh, we played that, that game, most everybody found their favorite spot. And it got to be that we figured out where everybody was because they just kept going back to the same spot over and over and over. I had a spot under the deck of my neighbor's yard, and it's dark down there, and nobody could, could find me for several times we played the game until they realized that's where. Now, what do I mean everybody's hiding somewhere? Remember the question, after the fall, God comes and asks, where are you? Now, that's the question that most people are hiding from. And, man, we'll go to great lengths so we don't have to answer that question. God's asked, where are you? And you remember what Adam says, uh, he starts blaming it on his wife, right? I mean, you talk about things that haven't changed, right? He start, starts blaming it on his wife, and then she starts blaming it on so. We're just passing the, passing the blame. When they're, when they're hiding, and God asks the question, where are you? Let me give you some places that people hide in order to avoid that. A f- popular hiding place is the comfortable chair in front of the television. You say, that's an obvious hiding place. Well, yeah. Yeah, it is. But if you'll sit there, you don't have to think about the question, right? Where are you? Ever sit somebody and they just flip? We've got more channels to flip through than we've ever had. Have you noticed we've got more channels than we've ever had and nothing to watch? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, we'll flip through the first hundred and then flip through the second hundred and pause for 15 seconds. And then we'll flip through that. And then we'll set the DVR to record something else we might watch. And then we just keep, it's, it's, so what do you mean when you're hiding? I mean, you just decided to use all your time with that. And, and, and if you'll do that, you don't have to wrestle with the big questions, the eternal questions, the what's my life all about questions, the do I have to give an account to God questions, or, or anything like that. So, so it can be the chair, it can be your favorite hobby, fishing, hunting, reading. Some people can hide in the bottle, some people can hide in the gym, some people can hide in ice cream, some people can hide at mom's house, some people can hide at work. You just work yourself silly so that you don't have to think about these things. Some people hide at the beach or the boat or at the bank, somewhere. Anywhere where we can hide. Where's David been hiding? David's been hiding in this whole scheme of a cover-up, right? Maybe nobody will ever find out. But over the course of time, all these places proved to be really bad hiding spots. The reason that they're bad hiding spots is because what we're hiding from isn't out there somewhere. What we're hiding from is actually in here and no matter where you go, guess what? You carry this with you. So you can change hiding spots, do all sorts of things. That's what David tried to do until he realizes you can't hide from God, which is actually the second point. First of all, everybody's hiding somewhere. Secondly, you can't hide from him. Let me just read you a couple of scriptures. And I don't want you to, these scriptures to come across like you can't hide. I want them to come across as we don't need to hide from him. There is only one place to hide from God, and that is in God. The only place to hide from Him is, is in Him, and we'll talk about what I mean by that in, in, a, in a moment. When we hide from Him, it's like hiding in a burning building from the fireman. Job 28, 24 says, For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Hebrews 4:13. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In other words, when he says, Where are you? you can ignore him, but only, only, but for so long. Psalm 147, verse 5. This happened to be the theme verse of our vacation Bible school this last week. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has. No limit. And then Psalm 32, verse 8, or verse 7, rather. You are a hiding place for me, David says. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Now, that's interesting because for this whole season of his life, the last person David wanted to interact with is actually the Lord. And it's true when we're in, in sin, the last person we want to think about, the last person we want to talk to, is Him. Now the issue for a Christian, for a believer is sin cuts you off from fellowship with him and that's a big deal to the believer because for the believer there's nothing greater than fellowship with him. Now this is going to come as a huge shock to absolutely no one in this room. When I was in high school, I didn't go on any dates. I know, this is shocking, isn't it? <laughs> but there's a reason there's, there's re- this hopefully isn't some sort of bizarre justification. I spent a lot of time at my house on, on Friday nights. TNT would show an NBA doubleheader. So I spent the 90s watching Jordan until he retired and then he came back, which is great. Barkley, Ewing, those guys. Friday nights, Rocky Mount. Maybe I was hiding in the comfy chair by the TV. But the other reason that I didn't go on any dates all through high school is my heart was set on somebody her name was Julie and I didn't really want to to go on any dates with anybody but her I mean my heart was just set on her Um, uh, there there of course obviously was no long line of people wanting me to take them out on a date but had there been had there been now we're just hypothetical totally hypothetical right now had there been all that I would be able to say is this just not Julie Jeez, that's where my heart's set on her. And this, when we talk about having a relationship with God, that's, um, even much, much, much more so what we're saying is these, these things that want to lure us away, what we would say of them, a, a sinful temptation, whatever it may be, greed or jealousy or envy or lust, when those temptations come, For a believer who knows God and is growing and has an appetite for Him, victory over the sin comes because here's what we would say. It's just not Jesus. It's just not the Lord. It's just not the one that I I love. See, I've got this peculiar idea in my mind that people who don't follow God, lost people, have an overriding assumption that all us church folks, if we had our druthers, would just be out there with them. And that might be true of some church folks but i'm i'm making a distinction between when we talked about this last week people just come to church and people who really love him i'm not out there necess- now i've got a lot of sin in my life please hear what i'm saying but if i'm if i'm following the lord i desire him more than anything and that's what david's saying now that's not always been true of him But what he's saying now, present tense, after the past tense of sin, he was lured away, he went for the momentary fleeting pleasure of the adultery, and that got him in all sorts of trouble. After he'd come out of that, he says that now you are a hiding place for me. And notice what he says, you preserve me from trouble. Christians cling to Christ out of love, not necessarily out of loyalty. Loyalty is great, but the reason we cling to Christ is it's love. you think it would really bless my wife if I said, yeah, I'm just going to be faithful to you because I'm going to be loyal. I said I would. Is that going to bless her? It's not going to bless her near as much as I say, there isn't anybody on the planet who holds a candle to you, in my opinion, which, by the way, is true. And I'm sticking with her, come sickness or health, for richer or for poorer, Till death do us part, not out of loyalty, but out of love. It's like Adrian Rogers said of his wife: if she leaves me, I'm going with her, and that's how I feel. <laughs> she goes anywhere, I'm going with her. So, do you notice that's what he's saying here? You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. What David is saying is, I think, I think what he's saying: I'm preserved from trouble. Because the trouble doesn't appeal to me more than the hiding place does. In the garden, when Adam and Eve first sinned, they knew they had lost something. They knew it. That's why they started hiding to begin with. And don't you have an idea that you're meant for more than just dying? Just for having 70 some odd years on the earth and then you die and then they bury you and that's it? Don't Don't you have this sneaking suspicion somewhere deep down inside that there's more to life than that. But the troubling thing is, is we often look for life in the very things that bring only death. We cannot preserve ourselves from trouble. Look what David says. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And that's our last point, is he surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Now, David had failed to keep his responsibilities. David had lied. David took another man's wife and then put out what amounted to a mob hit on the man. David put on a spiritual front with God's prophet Nathan and David was delivered. And those things don't sound like they go together, do they? David lied. David cheated. David had a man murdered. David covered the whole thing up and then David was delivered. I want you to go with me to another psalm that David wrote years after Psalm 32, and it's Psalm 103. There's a time in the Gospels that um, Jesus goes to a Pharisee's, man of the Pharisees' house for dinner. And it's formal, and it's rigid, and, and then the whole dinner's interrupted because this woman comes in. And uh, she 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 starts weeping at Jesus' feet, and the Pharisee guy's really uncomfortable. He he's like, uh, "What's she doing here?" And, and she begins to weep, and then she pours perfume on Jesus. All, all this sort of uh, stuff goes on, and the Pharisee finally says, "Yeah, if he was really a if he was really a prophet, if he's really a teacher, he'd kind of know where this woman came from. She's a she's a." Sinful woman. She's a woman of the street. But Jesus has changed her life. And then Jesus says a really interesting statement to the man, he, to the Pharisee. He says, uh, those who've been forgiven much, love much. And you remember what we're talking about. We, we, we cling to him not out of loyalty. We cling to him out of love. And the love is based on him forgiving us. And Psalm 103 is written by a man who's been forgiven much. It's David. And I want you to hear how he loves the one who's forgiven him. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It's a long way away from night and day. Your hand was heavy upon me. And as the heat of summer dried up, he says, now I feel renewed. David says, I'm satisfied. It's hard to tempt a satisfied man. It's hard to lure away a satisfied woman when she's satisfied him or her in Christ. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. Now he will chide. Here's how he'll chide. Where are you? Where are you? And the question is asked, so we'll realize where we are, so we'll, we'll come to him. He, he will not keep his anger forever. You ready for some good news? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Does He do that because He's just nice? No, He does repay iniquity. He does deal with somebody according to our sins. This is the gospel. There on the screen is the cross. We preach Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ was crucified for David's sin. That's the only way David can say, I've been forgiven. God doesn't just wipe it away and says, all right, just try harder next time. All we like sheep have gone astray, but he has laid upon Christ, upon him, the iniquity of us all. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for for us. Now, because he's done that, Look what David can say. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field. He's saying life's really, really, really short. Please don't waste it hiding in one of those other places. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his Commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all the places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So David says, I'm not hiding from Him anymore. Now I'm actually hiding in Him. And Here's how the Apostle Paul says it. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to tell God's child these things aren't true? Somebody going to challenge God? Jesus said, nobody can snatch them out of my hands. So let's stand together and we're going to pray together and then have an opportunity to respond. Just a couple of things. When we respond to the Lord's word, is a, an invitation as a time for thinking. So people, people can hide even now and here. Just take your mind and set it somewhere else. Set it on lunch or set it on something else later. Just take a moment now. Here's the question God asks: Where are you? Where are you? Let's pray together. And would you take these moments to think, is there a place, a hobby, or a a habit that you find yourself hiding in it from the Lord? We can't cover up our mistakes or our sins, but the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood, can cover it. As far as east is from west, He can remove it from us. So I encourage you, I exhort you not to hide from him. He says that I've come to seek and to save. See, if he finds you, if he seeks after you, the only reason he's seeking after you right now is to save you. So Father, I pray that we know that this game of hide and seek, if that's the right way to even say, Lord, it's not going to go on forever. You are saying, where are you? Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Father, we're prone to hiding because because we're afraid. (laughs) So, Father, help us, we who are prone to putting on masks and hiding in places, to know that there's nothing under heaven that's hidden from your sight. All of us before you, you can see all things. And the scripture says to you, we will give an account. But we thank you, first of all, the account that you've given to us of yourself, that you've loved us in Christ Jesus, who's died, that we don't have to hide anymore. So, Father, help us to repent in a way that honors you. Help us to respond now in a way that's pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen.